last week, uh, we began, last week we uh, were talking about the life of Moses, and we looked at the life of Moses, and, and we considered the, the types of people that God uses, and we said, uh, what were some things we said about Moses and other individuals in Scripture that God would use? What were some of the things that... Uh, that we, we looked at. We looked at several things about the types of people that God uses. Do you remember any of them? He was a sinner. Sinners. If God's going to use any of us, he's going to have to use a sinner, right? <laughs> and Moses, murderer as he was, um, he was a sinner. We looked at David, an adulterer and a murderer. And Paul, a persecutor of the church, probably a murderer. We mentioned David. Um, I don't know if we mentioned uh, Peter last time, but one who denied Christ three times. And yet God used each of these. And God can use us who are sinners as well. What else did we mention about him? Uh, Moses is a person that God uses. He was a sinner. Uh, he was yeah, he, he, was, he was kind of reluctant to be used by God. And so he was sometimes uh, people who are used by God are afraid. And, that would fit some of us in here probably. More than one, I hope. But uh, to me, sometimes you're just afraid to go out and speak. And all the things that could happen, you might want to end up saying like Moses did, send somebody else, please. <laughs> Not me. Uh, anything else about him? Called. He was called, yes. Each of us have been called into God's family. When he calls us into his family, he gives us uh, a gift to be used in that calling well. So, so we, we said they were sinners, they're called, they're sometimes fearful. Anything else? He was well educated. He was prepared. Yeah, and God prepares us. You know, no matter what we're going through, God take that and use it to prepare us in ministry in the future. Anything else? There was one other thing. If you remember it. When Moses is given all his excuses why he can't go, what's God say to him? I'll be with you. I'm going to be with you. Same encouragement he gives to Joshua when after 40 years, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you go and you lead these people. Uh, don't worry, I'm with you. Right? And Jesus, when he gives a great permission, how does he encourage us? I will be with you even to the end of the day. And lo, I will be with you always. Right. And so see these things. Well, so this is the kind of people we got, just people like Moses, and so we want to look at some more things about Moses tonight. Um, Moses is called to be God's mouthpiece in a sense, um, and uh, he's going to go back into Egypt. Moses is very aware of all the different things that are going on there. He's a, Moses, I'm sure, is aware uh, about uh, the, the view of God that people in Egypt have. There are many different views that people can have. There's an atheistic view, right? Atheistic view means no God. There are a lot of people in our society who foolishly believe that. The Bible says a fool said in his heart there is no God. So that's a foolish way to think that there is no God. Then there's this idea of what's called pantheism. Pantheism means everything is God and God is everything and that that magnolia tree is God, and the grass is God, and I am God, and you are God, and everything is God. My dogs are God, and all of the, these sorts of things. Um, 
Do what? They are royalty, but they're not God, okay? But pantheists would say, say that God is everything and everything is God, and so it's like the one big force. Nirvana's when you die and you become part of the one big force and you don't, you're no longer, no longer any self consciousness. And you're just one part. You're, you're a drop of water that's hit into the river indistinguishable from the rest of it and you lose any consciousness of being any different, okay? Pantheists. That's Eastern religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, a lot of New Age. Right. Everything is God and God is everything and so you might think of yourself as distinct from other things, but not really. You're going to drop into the river and just become part of the big oneness, and that's, that's God. Then there's this idea which is called polytheism. Okay, Polytheism is a view of God that there's not just one God, but there's a whole bunch of gods. And the reason I'm telling you this tonight is because polytheism was the view of many back in the ancient times, and it was certainly the view of God that they had in Egypt at the time. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of their gods tonight. They had thousands of gods that they would worship. And some uh, were more well-known than others. And we're going to look at them, some of them tonight. And then there's monotheism. Monotheism is belief in only one God. Um, there are three different religions that have a belief in one God. There's certainly Christianity. We believe there's only one God. A Jews, a Jewish Jew, Judaism. It uh, believes there's only one God, and Islam believes there's only one God. And, uh, but uh, certainly we know that uh, only the Christian God is the real truth. So anyway, now somebody look up for me real quickly. We're going to be in Exodus. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 8. But somebody look up for me real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. This is the Bible drill. See who gets there first. All right. You cheated. Okay. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 4 through 6. Read it with your outside voice. It's okay. Therefore, as to those, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things, for whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Okay. What's Paul saying here about idols? I mean, he's talking about meat sacrificed to idols, and he's basically, some people are saying, if you eat meat sacrificed to idols, it's a terrible sin. You can't do that. And he's saying, look, just don't ask, right? Don't ask. When you go to the, when you go to the supermarket and buy that meat, don't ask if it was sacrificed to idols already. And it really doesn't matter because, what about idols? They're not really gods, right? They're not anything. It's not really real. And um, 
So he talks about this and saying, so it doesn't really matter if it's been sacrificed. Certainly you don't want to go to their ceremonies where they're sacrificing it and then eating it there. He's in participating in their worship because that's worshiping an idol. And even though it isn't a real living God, that's a bad thing to do. We don't worship other things other than God. And so uh, we see that, and we can also see that uh, um, polytheism and these other gods that come up, they're not really gods. They're idols, maybe of wood or stone or something like that. But some of these are certainly um, were encouraged by Satan and his demons. And some of them may even be backed by Satan and his demons. It's kind of a satanic sort of thing. And so we might think, well, that in the world, uh, there are two separate and equal powers, right? God and Satan. And that they're vying for uh, our worship and stuff. Well, that's not really true. Um, Satan is a creation of God, and he only has power that God gives him. And he can't do anything apart from God saying, okay, you can do remember Job? And he, so he's got to come to God and say, you know, if you, if you would let me, Satan's just lacking in that sense. Uh, Satan and God are not equal in power and authority. Uh, God is certainly the only one true and living God. Uh, and yet, Satan has blinded some uh, to worship idols. And they may say that certain idols control certain things. And that's what they did in Egypt in those times. They said that certain, certain of their gods were in control of certain different things. There were fertility gods. Uh, there were gods of the sky to control what happens up there. There were, God, there were gods of the river. We're going to see that in just a minute, which were very important. And they controlled the, the river. The Nile River was so very important to them. I think we're going to see that as well. Now, look up. Someone look up. Now, let's just do, I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. Exodus 12, verse 12. Moses called to go back, and he's going to tell Pharaoh to let the people go, but he's already told Pharaoh's not going to let them go. And um, he's saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to cause all this to show who I am. And you're going to see some of that as as we go through it tonight. But Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. And this is um, in, in regards to the final play. It said, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down the firstborn, both uh, men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. That it's not just for this one plague, but every one of the plagues, in a sense, is a battle against one of the idols of Egypt. And God is going to show who's truly in charge here. And so all of these ten plagues that he goes through, we might look at it and go, well, that's ridiculous he has to go through all that. Why don't they just start with the Passover? Well, for each one, God is showing who's really in control of all these different things. He's most important idols of this polytheistic society and he's going to show that he is the God. So what I want us to do is we're going to look uh, quickly, I guess, we're going to get kind of a thumbnail sketch of the ten plagues and we're going to look at uh, how God shows in each of these 
himself to be sovereign over the, uh, the polytheistic gods of Egypt, okay? And so we see the very first plague is found in, in Exodus chapter 7. Exodus 7, 19 through 21. And uh, Moses met with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's not going to let the people go. And then verse 19, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the uh, streams and the canals, over the ponds, and over all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Hmm. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. And so Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff over the, in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink the water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. Um, the Nile was so very important to uh, those in, in Egypt, and it still is very important today. James Boyce said the Nile was was then and still today the most important thing in Egypt. They make their living from it. They, they are sustained by the Nile River going through there. Now the Nile River and the, the river itself almost becomes God to them, but they have gods over the Nile River to help them, uh, to help make sure it, it's, it stays in its place and, and control uh, doesn't uh, go crazy, doesn't do things it shouldn't do. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce the names of some of their gods here. Uh, Osiris, Osiris, O-S-I-R-I-S, uh, one of the chief gods of Egypt was first of all the gods of the Nile. In the upper Egypt, uh, Hapimon, uh, H-A-P-I-M-O-N, and uh, Tarit, T-A-U-R-E-T, were also gods of the Nile. Nu was the god, N-U, was the god of life in the river. These, uh, to these gods, prayers uh, had been addressed and offerings had been made for hundreds and even thousands of year, years. Now the divine Nile became a river of death and putrefaction. Plague lasted seven days. All right, you got all these gods of the Nile, and people have been praying to them and, and keeping the Nile up like it had been for all these years. And now, now all of a sudden, they're not able to help. The river just becomes blood, and there is no hope for them there um, with that. It just becomes uh, blood, and um, it, you can imagine the smell, the dead animals as of it and it smelled so bad he said that, that uh, the people couldn't even drink uh, any water that maybe they had saved or, or anything they couldn't find any fresh water anywhere else so the waters turned to blood and it's got you've got all these gods of, of the Nile they're not able to help them to, to clean up the river uh, it's, it's not able to happen second plague we find in Exodus chapter 8 verse 1 through 7 then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go that they may worship me. And if he refuses to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. I don't think he's talking about the French here. Uh, just to, 
which would be bad enough in his own. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, he's gonna uh, play with frogs. So now we'll team with frogs that will come up into your palace and your bedroom and on your beds. <laughs> All fun, right? Uh, into your houses, the houses of your, of your officials and your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. <laughs> the frogs will go up uh, on you and your people and all your officials. <laughs> and the Lord said to, uh, to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and the canals and the ponds and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. Now this is interesting in verse 7 here. Pharaoh is going to say, this is nothing big. So he gets his magicians uh, verse 7, the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and they made frogs come up out of the land. That doesn't seem very bright to me. I, I'm just, maybe I'm missing something here. Seem to be enough frogs already, and, and you just to show them up, say, I can, I, I can imitate that. So frogs everywhere. Can you imagine pulling down your sheet to get in bed at night? Frogs there. Um, going to fix a meal, and you pull out a pan, there's a frog in it, uh, or frogs aplenty. Uh, this is some interesting stuff I want to, I'm, I'm going to be uh, reading a lot because he talks about these gods and goddesses of Egypt, and uh, he mentions their names, uh, so I'm going to try to do the best I can. If we're to understand the full significance of this plague, we must recognize that a goddess of Egypt was involved in this judgment. The goddess Hecht. H-E-K-T, uh, who was always pictured with the head and often the body, uh, the head and body of a frog. There was this goddess that they worshipped as, and, and she had the head, or the head and body of a frog. Since Hecht was uh, embodied in the frog, the frog was sacred in Egypt. Can get the key here? It could not be killed and, and consequently, and consequently, there was nothing the Egyptians could do about this horrible and ironic proliferation of the goddess. <laughs> and they were forced to loathe uh, the symbols of their depraved, depraved worship, but they could, still could not kill them. And when the frogs died, their decaying bodies must have turned the towns and the countryside into a, stink, a stinking horror, I guess. Uh, Kind of interesting uh, goddess uh, frog, and then you got all the frogs everywhere, and you, you, you maybe say, put, "Do you mind scooting over so I can get in bed or something?" I don't know, but <laughs> they were just there everywhere, and and, and so God once again shows the uh, silliness of uh, of the uh, plethora of gods that they had um, there in Egypt, and uh, so. We move on to the third plague. God shows himself over uh, the gods of the Nile, the goddess of the frogs. Uh, the third plague we find in uh, chapter 8, it's really, uh, uh, once again, um, look with me verse 16 through 19. Someone else want to read that about the third plague? Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats 
on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats and all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Lies. They're not real sure exactly what they are. They're, they're, they're some sort of creature like a gnat or a lice or something. Can probably burrow it into your skin and make you quite miserable. Um, Dr. Boyce mentions them here. He says of them, um, the exact identification of this insect is unknown. He talks about the, the Greek word. But he says that, that whatever kind of, of creature it was, they, uh, it probably indicates a form of sand fly or flea that dug beneath the skin and caused disagreeable itching and pain. Wow. Yeah. And, now, they have a god named Geb, G-E-B, and um, he was the, the god of the earth. We're supposed to be able to protect them from this. Um, and protect them from swarms of flies and uh, defile bodies. And but these these uh, whatever this was, uh, fleas or gnats or no seams, whatever it was, <laughs> they infect the people so bad. And even the priest, he um, says, whatever it was, it defiled the bodies of the Egyptians and halted religious activity. For the priest could only serve while their bodies were ceremonially clean. This made their bodies unclean. They could not serve that way. So once again, God um, saying, you know, I'm going to defeat these gods of Egypt, if you will. I'm going to show them the silliness of, of what they're doing. The fourth plague, um, it's in chapter 8 again. Someone else want to read for us about the fourth plague. Uh, chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. For the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. That's, that's good. That's good. Okay, so the fourth plague is these flies. And once again, they're, they're pretty uh, disgusting. And this infestation of whatever kinds of flies it was that... Uh, that are here and they're swarming everywhere. You can imagine them getting in your eyes and in your ears. Um, just, just as kind of an illustration here, there's a, a certain time in the Rockies when you can go fishing and they talk about uh, a caddis hatch, a major caddis hatch. Now, a caddis is kind of a, a small little fly that, you know, they can go like this. But when, when they're having this major hatch, they're everywhere. And you, you can, I mean, you can't walk without them bumping into your face and everything. And if you're not careful, they'll hit and go up your nose or get in your ears. And people are out fly fishing with this because the, the, the trout love it. I mean, there's so many of those bugs in the water, they go crazy. But they'll, they'll put, uh, some of them, you know, put like a mask 
or dust mask or something like that to keep them from getting in their mouth. And, and here's, well, that, that must have been what this was like. They're just everywhere. You know? It's uh, not uh, a very, uh, not, not something that they would like uh, too well. But this one, this one uh, with these flies, beetles, whatever they were, it says, like the earlier plagues, this one brought an infestation of creatures such as the beetle, which were sacred to the people. They could not be killed. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to swat it, want to get it away from you and accidentally kill it. You're killing one of the ones that would represent their God. You don't want to step on them, right? You got to be very careful. So. Now this one is interesting. We find verse 28 here. Um, once again, God going after their gods. And, and uh, look what Pharaoh does. And uh, let's see. Uh, in, in verse 28, uh, he, sa he says, okay, this is enough. And he says, I'll, I'll let you go offer sacrifices to uh, be Yahweh, your God, uh, in the desert but you must not go very far. Pray for me. <laughs> We're going to see him asking uh, Moses and Aaron to pray for him again and pray about these plagues, praying that God would take away these plagues from him. He's not praying to his own gods. It seems kind of useless, right? So anyway, we see the fourth plague with the flies, and once again, they can't do anything about them because they represent some of their gods, and they're there, and God is showing uh, they can't pray to their gods. It doesn't seem to help. Uh, verse 28, Pharaoh says, pray for me. Pray, get these things out of here. The fifth plague, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Do we have any volunteers? I will. Okay. <clears throat> 1 through 7. Uh -huh. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock, that all that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Thank you. Okay. Once again, he's attacking part of their polytheistic worldview. They had a God named... Uh, Apis, A-P-I-S. Um, he was a bull god. And he was supposed to control the livestock and keep them from coming to any type of harm. You remember, this one must have been a very important one. You remember when the Israelites go out in the wilderness and Moses is up on the mountain and he's been gone for a long time and they come to Aaron and say, you know, for this Moses guy, we don't know what's happened to him. We think he probably died up there. What, what, uh, what can we do here? Uh, we want to see our God, and so he takes the gold and he fashions it into a calf or a bull. Where did they get that idea? From Egypt. He has to do with this God, this God who can protect their livestock and everything. Well, it doesn't work 
uh, it still doesn't work, and he's attacking once again part of their polytheistic gods. Plague number six, uh, Exodus uh, 8 through 12, Exodus 9, 8 through 12. Volunteer. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Okay, interesting thing, taking the ashes and throwing them in the air, and if the ash comes down and touch you, there's a boil there, right? <clears throat> Again, from Dr. Boyce, it was custom in Egypt for the ashes of the sacrifices to be sprinkled into the air above the worshipers. And all who had the ashes follow them, fall upon them counted it a blessing. <laughs> now in the hands of Moses, the ashes of, uh, of blessing become ashes of cursing. God once again showing uh, his power even over the, the gods of the uh, Egyptians. Um, also in Egypt, something else I wanted to read to you here about that. In antiquity, the land of Egypt was noted for its skill in medicine, and the gods of Egypt were always associated with medical practice and were known as gods of healing. <laughs> Where was their healing power now? Uh, the boils continued, and the impotence of these gods is revealed to every Egyptian. Uh, so we see this happening with uh, Oh, really? Huh. I, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, so, so that would just fit right into what he was saying here. Um, <clears throat> the seventh plague, here we are, Exodus 9, 22 through 27. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that hell will fall over Egypt on men and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, the Lord uh, sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell uh, and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in the land of Egypt since uh, it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck the animals it beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. Uh, the only place it did not hail was in the land of Goshen where the Israelites lived. You ever been hit by a big piece of hail? Um, we had the, several years ago, around 2000, 2001, I don't remember what year it was, but we had the windows down in, in our car out here in the driveway and it came raining and hell and so I said I gotta go out here and get that windows up and so I ran out had an umbrella I, I wore shorts in those days occasionally anyway um, I had shorts on and I had the umbrella so it wasn't hitting me on the head one of those it, about a baseball size hell hit me on the leg wow that hurt 
very badly. Well, they, there is no cover here. Anything out in the fields gets hit by this, it's dead. And so this hail comes and it begins to bring uh, uh, death. Um, and uh, look with me in verse 14, especially here, uh, 9 verse 14, when he's talking about doing this. Um, he's telling Moses it's going to happen. Lord, verse 13, the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews, says, Let my people go that they may worship me. Or this time I will send full force of my plagues against you and against your officials uh, and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Once again, your gods don't begin to compare like me. You're going to know who I am uh, throughout this. He says, you'll know that I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Uh, so the, the next plague, uh, chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hell. I, I can imagine you probably, if you've just planted your garden, a big hailstorm comes, you're not too excited about that. You can destroy it. Well, there, there must have been something left, and they might have been excited to try to get it up growing again. And as soon as that happens, all of a sudden, a swarm of locusts come. So Moses, verse 13, so Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land, and all that day and all that night, by morning the wind had brought the locusts, and they invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, uh, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground. It was black. They devoured all that was left after the hell, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained uh, on the tree or, in, uh, or plant in all the land. Egypt. <laughs> um, why is this happening? Uh, once again, he has said, so that you may know, verse 2, uh, Exodus 10, verse 2, uh, so that when this happens, he says, you can tell your children, your grandchildren, how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and how I performed my signs among them, that they may know that I am the Lord. I'm the Lord. I'm the one. I am Yahweh, and, and this is what I do. I'm over their gods. Um, so since the locusts here, they have gods which are supposed to protect their uh, all their vegetation. Uh, Nepri, N-E-P-R-I, Nepri, uh, was a god. Was a grain god. Anubis, Anubis, A-N-U-B-I-S, was the guardian of the fields. And men, M-I-N, the deity of uh, harvesting crops took their place among the other impotent, uh, impotent and defeated gods of Egypt. Uh, they had several gods who were supposed to protect these and yet the locust comes. Well when this happens, it's interesting, verse 17 here, Exodus 10 verse 17, he sees, uh, Pharaoh seems to see the uh, just how powerful his gods are against uh, God who's bringing all these plagues. In verse 17, he, he calls Moses and Aaron back in. He says, Now forgive my sin once more and pray to your Lord, uh, pray to the Lord your God 
to make this deadly plague, to take this deadly plague away from me. <laughs> Even Pharaoh recognizes at this point that his gods and all the gods of his people are no match for, um, for the God of, of Israel, for Yahweh, the God of Israel, and his power. And so even Pharaoh asked for deliverance. The ninth plague uh, we see in chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. And I didn't mention something with the uh, plague earlier with the hail. It, the sun shone, would shine uh, 365 days a year in Egypt. And at night, the stars moon would be there. It just never rains there. They got their water supply from Egypt, got it from the Nile. And uh, so it, it never rained there. And so when the hell came, this was an amazing thing that it would come and destroy the land like this. But this is even more so, we see in verse 21 through 23, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. We've seen that before. Right? When I was growing up, we used to go to South Alabama every year to see my grandmother on my mother's side. And she lived way out in the country, and she had this little house. And um, the room that I had to stay in was like between two other bedrooms. There was no window there. So when, it, when the lights went out at night, they didn't have the little night lights to help us. It was, I mean, you, your eyes didn't adjust to where you could ever see your hands right here. No? what this was like the whole time for them. It was just so completely dark and it was so foreign to them. Uh, so the darkness can be felt. Uh, so Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see any more, or could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. <laughs> really kind of tough. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. I'm not exactly sure that happened, but I believe it. Okay. So, uh, so there's darkness. Now, this, this is kind of important, too, because one of their main gods was a god named Ra, R-A. And he was the sun god. And he was their main god, really. Uh, he was the, the, the sun god. And now, with this, he, him and his power had been obliterated. Um, he had been taken down from his place in, in heaven, if you will. And so even this plague is against the pantheon of gods uh, in Europe. I mean, excuse me, in Egypt at the time. Tenth plague and the final plague we see in chapter 11 and 12. And you know it is the, the, the plague of the death of the firstborn. And uh, the only way you could be saved from that would be uh, to have, you know, the blood sprinkled on the doorposts and the frame. Uh, uh, up at the top and the doorpost and the death angel would see that and pass over you. And the death of the firstborn is quite interesting here because Pharaoh's firstborn will die. Now in Egypt, Pharaoh was the incarnation of Ra, the sun god. And so this is like the major nail. And so here you have the... Uh, the one who would inherit the throne of Egypt, the next God who would become, the one who would become a God himself over the people. He's going to, uh, he is going to die. And once again, God's showing his power uh, even, over, uh, even over Pharaoh here. 
uh, Pharaoh himself, the incarnation of the sun god. When the firstborn in the house of Pharaoh died, the next god died. And so we see in all of this, God displaying his power uh, over all the idols. It's interesting the types of instruments that he used to do this. We would think there's something special about the instruments, but no, there's not. And God is pleased to use instruments like the us and like Moses. For what reason? You can't look at Moses and say it was him. And if God would do anything through us, we can't look at ourselves and say it's me. Anything that God does, he's pleased to use instruments like human beings in our weakness. And so Paul could say, you know, he rejoices in his weakness. God can use him that way. I use him even more, and God will be seen to receive the glory. And this is what happens with Moses. God takes him and uses him to be his instrument to uh, inform his mouthpiece, if you will, to inform Pharaoh and all of the people who will continue to see Yahweh is the God, the only one true and living and all-powerful God. Your pantheon of gods don't stand a chance against him. So each one of those plagues shows that God is there to destroy the gods of Egypt. And uh, even though they're really nothing at all. And so, I think in a sense we can take courage and God might use us that way. To defeat uh, the, the different uh, <clears throat> things out there that compete against him. God might be pleased to, to use us that way to bring about his glory uh, in his kingdom. Okay. That was a quick thumbnail sketch of the plagues, right? Anyway, anybody else want to run through them and tell me which all ten of them? And name the gods. And name the gods. <laughs> yeah. Listen, that's the reason I had to read it here. I remember Roth. Roth, yeah. Hey, he's easy, right? All right. All right, let me pray.